Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses in over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pound portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a guy called Jay Howard. He's a very experienced property trader. He's an author, he's an avid reader, he has multiple degrees. At one point in his career, he managed a portfolio worth over three billion. Uh, really switched on guy, he has a really creative approach. And he's done some big things in trading uh, for quite a long period of time. So I think it's going to be a different episode. It's going to be a really interesting one, full of knowledge, lessons, and experience. So um, welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate you having me here. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. I, I appreciate it as well. Um, so what we like to do, Jay, is we like to talk about your sort of career so far. We'll try and extract as many lessons, key learning points as we can to hopefully motivate and inspire others uh, from your story. So three main parts of your career will be the start, just how you got into property and how it actually started for you. And the middle part is the growth part, any key milestones, any key moments in your career, and maybe there's any catalysts that kicked something off. And then um, the last part is just what your attention is on right now. So Where's Jay going right now? What's your focus on, your attention is on? And, and then we'll take it from there. So if you could start by telling us a little bit about how it started for you, Jay, that'd be great. Yeah, um, I think uh, my family had been doing it. So uncles and cousins, I didn't really have much contact with, uh, were big property people. Uh, okay. My great grandfather owned like half of East London at one stage, uh, oh, wow. donkey's years and, and like a, uh, his kids, I think there were 10 of them, like uh, just squandered it and sold bits off and just just a really kind of random story. But uh, it really started because I, I did the two weeks work experience at, in high school at a local Bear Stoeves in Ealing. Um, yeah. And I still can't tell you today whether I fell in love with property or the two women that were training me. I've got no clue, mate. It could have <laughs> been either way. Like, uh, like I think I was like... 13 or 14 just having insane fantasies about these like unbelievably attractive well put together women who were taking <laughs> me out in their car I felt, I felt like I felt like an absolute legend clearly I was just a child that they were kind of making poster <laughs> leaflets into letterboxes make the coffee like that. yeah that's it go make the coffee little boy but um but no it, it was kind of like there was a lifestyle with that um, that I really I really liked and I, I wanted to be a part of and that really was the start and it just snowballed completely snowballed mm. so you went from doing some work experience to doing some big so sorry the, the managing the portfolio did that come before you started setting up your own businesses and things and trading so what was yeah, the transition yeah. from from that to to this 
Well, I'd, I'd finished my second degree. Um, I was at 17 and uh, my mother had passed away. Um, so I kept the funeral, like uh, I think a lot of uncles turned up a lot of like the long lost family. Now everyone comes up the woodwork for a funeral. Uh, you're normally guaranteed a, a pint of something or a bite to eat for free. Uh, and they you know, like out, out the woodwork. But um, basically uh, a couple of them came up and like, you know, sorry to see what happened, blah, blah, blah. And they just start asking what you're doing. And I think they just took an interest in me. Um, I don't think they knew that I'd, you know, I started my first degree at 11. I finished, started the second degree at 17. I did another one and I was doing all this kind of stuff. Um, and then they said, oh, you know, what are you interested in? I said, well, yeah, I'm interested in this, but I've got some property experience. And I, well, why don't you come and work for the firm? Um, and it was a group of trusts that handled what had a wealth cap at about 26 billion. And I was just, I was basically, I, I worked my way up over seven years to becoming the, the, the largest uh, consultant in one of the trusts. So it was about 3.3 billion. Um, and I handled that for about seven years. And, and what what was that? So is that is that your family? Sorry, is somebody related to you? This this yeah yeah someone is it your family? Yeah, yeah, but wow. I mean, uh, this was kind of like I I grew up on a uh, a council estate in West London. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was kind of like a your family always billions. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of you, you we knew they existed and we knew that they were there, but it was kind of like it was like one side of the family family versus another. I think someone got you know. The needle at one stage and cut someone off and then it just branched out one side of the family was immensely wealthy and the other side just you know were okay or just about floating um oh, so wow. yeah yeah so, so what, what was that and how old were you at that point uh i was uh 17. 17. and did that get you you know you clearly very intelligent bloke you know a degree at age 11 is, is fascinating to me to, to do a degree at that age but like did that spark your interest in property? I mean, seeing seeing people at that level is inspiring. I, I like hearing stories like that. But were you inspired? Did that did that start it? Or I I I, I had an, a massive hard on for the amount of money that I could have earned. <laughs> right? It was it was just insane, and it was toxic. Um, but it was it was just unbelievable. At one point, um, I was earning unspeakable amounts of money like it was it was to come into that kind of money that early on I think caused more harm than good Dangerous. Mm. I mean I was earning it because I was working like 14 16 hour days five six days a week I was traveling internationally I was no it was it was graft and I part of the reason it stopped well there was a couple of reasons but one of them was burnout uh you almost killed myself doing that job um at 17 as well yeah i mean by wow. the time i was 20 i was i was earning seven plus figures a year um and that was that was just what they were paying me because i was family i was added to the trust so i was technically a beneficiary so whilst i'm doing all this work and building up this portfolio i'm one of the beneficiaries that's benefiting from that work so i was you know on a monster wage you know not really commission based, but I was kind of um, valued on the amount of um, value I was able to increase to the existing stock that we had, and then how I was able to find other assets and add value to those. So I became a specialist in being able, being able to find assets 
that were underappreciated either in value or in utility um, and then adding value um, through some kind of legal or paperwork and uh, if pushed it would be some kind of physical or structural work that would happen to the property so that was that was where I, I kind of I separated myself from from the others. Wow I mean um, what a way to what a way to get into property right getting thrown in at 17 <laughs> to that I mean I don't think I'll have many guests on who who have that answer about how they got into property. Um, fair play. And, and then at what point did you decide to break off from that to to do your own thing? And what why did you did you do that? Because I'm sure a lot of people, if they have that position ready made for them making a lot of money, they'll just be doing that forever. So, um, but did you just want to do your own thing? What 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 was the reason? Well, no, I think like most things in my life, uh, uh, I, it's normally women that, that destroy most of the things that I, I build up. Not because they <laughs> destroy things, but because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> and no, uh, no that, that's, that's unfair. But no, I met my wife. I, I met my now wife. Uh, we weren't married at the time, obviously. Um, and the family didn't really approve um, for whatever reason that they fancied. Um, they didn't really give me a chance to, they didn't really discuss it very much you know uh one friday i was at work and then on monday i was fired and i was uh, removed as a beneficiary of the trust then i started again that's a was that a hard pill to swallow uh yes yes it was yeah i, I, I think it took me about two to three years before i pulled myself out of that uh quagmire yeah i mean if i look at a lot of the guests um I've had so far and a lot of the successful people that I know majority, not all, but majority have experienced some sort of like adversity in their life that, that kind of shaped them. Did that, did that have an impact on sort of who you are today, Jay, sort of going from such a high to then a low to then rebuilding yourself and toughening yourself. Do you think that made you who you are and you think it had an impact? Massively. Um, I like to think it didn't change me too much. Um, but I think I think for, for people that knew me before that happened, uh, they would say I don't smile as much as I used to smile. Yeah, you know it's one. It's, it's just a small thing, right? I, if I'm stuck in a conversation, I'm talking. I'm 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 normally quite an affable, smiley person. But um, they say you know some people used to say oh it, it feels like they've broken your your smile, and I I try I try as much as possible not to let things like that because you can let it break you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you can break, you know, that's allowed, but you can't be broken. Do you know what I mean? So um, although although it broke me, I'm not broken for it. You know, I'm, I'm not I've not turned cold hearted or uh, I'm not overly suspicious or negative or uh, I still go out there with a good heart and try and do good and, you yeah. know, uh, meet people and try and, and, you know, treat them openly and equally. Uh, if they decide not to treat me like that, then, you know, it's over, it's done, it's finished. And if they do, then there's normally a lifelong relationship or friendship there. So I treat it very simply. I try not to let it adversely affect me too much. Um, and in, in, in today's view of myself and my mindset, I don't think it does. It was a really good learning curve because it just goes to show, even with the stuff that we're doing now, someone could take away your train set anyone can do it you know there's there's you know uh, you look at the 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 restrictions that are being brought in for 
um, uh, residential landlords and HMO landlords and all this stuff, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to operate. People can take away your train set. You know, someone else is making the rules. Do you know what I mean? So once you understand that, I think it's easier to go, right, okay, well, something's changed. This is a problem. How do we adapt? How do we survive? How do we thrive? Um, and I think you have to, I think that's the route that I, I went down. I had to adapt. I had to move into survival mode. Then I had to move out of some survival mode to get into thrive and growth, which is which was where we are now. We're in, you know, that that's our focus, striving for for growth. Fair play. And yeah, I've never heard that phrase, take away the chain set, but but you're right, but you can still build the track, right? Because you've learned how to build a train set when when you had it, you know. And and I I believe personally that. That's getting a bit deep this conversation, but I, I believe uh, I believe everything does happen for a reason, and and you know, in a majority of cases, it does make you stronger. Eventually, you know, it does, and it makes you. And who knows what's what's to come for you? And it might be bigger and better things. It might everything happens for a reason, right? Um, and obviously, you've got your wife out, but so you know, um, that's just what I truly believe. And and yeah, just going back to the point is that a lot of people have faced that adversity to some degree and it does it i think it molds you and shapes you and toughens you and prepares you for the next next step um for sure thank you for sharing jay that's um it's a powerful story man um so you started up yourself did you instantly start trading did you go into holding stuff and what 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 did you kind of get into and and also why trade and not hold out of curiosity um i i had one or two clients that basically backed me um so i, I so i started off um deal packaging so i would not in terms of just finding something and then telling someone they can do this with it i would be buying something doing the something with it packaging it up as a turnkey delivered solution and then selling it onto the retained client so i had a, a bedrock of capital available to to kind of do that yeah. um and that that worked really very well and then i realized that i was building an asset base for so many other people uh, and they had all the aggravation of of running it and dealing with it but i had i had none of the responsibility i'm still young at this stage right i'm early 20s so <laughs> forgive it um a little bit but um there's always aggravation there are voids uh you know there are the police knocking doors down because you know you hear all these horror stories and they're not just horror stories. These, this, this happens. People set fire to like. I've just not got. I've not got the bandwidth to deal with something like that from somebody else. Um, so and so, it basically went from once I built up a big enough pot, um, and I, one of my uh, investors um, had uh, had passed away. He was an elderly chap anyway, um, and his son took over and was like, "Oh, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need you." I was like, "Okay, cool. Yeah, fair enough." No. <laughs> I built up enough of a pot to play with. Um, and yeah, there's like no hard feelings. I'd, I'd known the son for about 15 years. It was like it was family, friend, that kind of thing. Um, so I went on my own and I just started doing maybe six or seven trades in a year. Um, you know, just like one every six or seven weeks. Simple stuff. Um, but I would, I, you know, random things would happen. Like I'd be driving and I would pull up outside. I'd, I'd stop in traffic and I'd see a moving van. Uh, and I'd go up and say, oh, you're moving in? You're moving out? Well, sorry, oh, no, no, uh, so-and-so is going into a care home. We're just about to put this on the market. So don't do that. I'll buy it from you. 
You know, I, I did I did an exchange and completion within six hours without doing searches, without doing anything like that, just literally stuck my balls on the line. Um, I made so much money on that deal. But like I, wow. stuff happens when you look for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like everyone's like, oh, I have to do this campaign or I've got, you know what, if you're if you're there and you're looking for it and you're thinking, right, I have to take advantage of an opportunity. I have to make the most of an opportunity when it comes because I don't know when the next opportunity is going to come. No one does. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And that's how the trading really started, because I kind of I, I exchanged completed on that. It was super random. It was like within four or six hours. And I sold it about three weeks later. I made like 200 and something grand. It was ridiculous. Um, and then I started realizing what because I sold it at auction. It's like, well, this is this is magic. <laughs> this is, there, <laughs> there's no chains. There's no uh, decisions in principle. There's no this has fallen down. That's not working. Can't do this. Excuses that pull out. I'm moving. My grandmother's you know converted to something else, and I've, I've changed my whole life. None of that happens. You give it to the auctioneer. Uh, it sells. They give you the money. It, and the simplicity of it was brilliant and then i started going to more and more auctions um and it just grew from there then i got a job with an auction company that was a number of years later um uh, just because I, I i was trading nicely uh, i was fairly you know unknown because i, I kind of spread, spread my trading across multiple auctioneers so I, I didn't really want to be known um so getting a job with an auction company was fairly easy and then i went from i kind of applied for an administrative role just thinking right i need something to occupy my time i need to you know regroup and rebase and i'll still do a couple of trades and i think within a year i was like behind the guys who own the company i was i was the guy you know i helped run it i, I managed the auctions i dealt with all the complaints i like progressed everything it was insane um and that that is kind of led me when i left there I left there because uh, we had our child, my wife, we got a little daughter uh, and we just wanted more flexibility. We we're looking to move out of London. This was during like, this was just before COVID kicked off. We were like, we need a different quality of life. Um, and and that, that was really the main, the main motivator behind it. Uh, and yeah, then I did some consultancy for a, a national auction brand uh, for 18 months. But in between that, you know, um, you know, three years ago, we launched a book that was an Amazon number one bestseller. That was really cool. We put a lot of heart and soul into that as myself, and my business partner. Um, and then we've got we've got three or four companies. I think a couple more than that. He would count better than I would. Um, and we, we just we either trade um, or we we yeah, we, we're basically traders. We help people sell their property auction as well. So we're kind of actors an intermediary, a, a, a joint auctioneer to make sure that investors are putting their property in the right auction house or an auction company for that asset to, to do the best. Um, and that's really our focus. That's kind of, that's where we are now. Where we are now is we're, we're actually opening up another company and another brand um, because our, 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 our route to market is auctions or direct to vendor or people you know giving sending us stuff going only you guys can really deal with this and all that kind of stuff to now we're we're setting up a, a property buying company um so like a quick a quick cash purchase company um and we should be launching that sometime this year um you know we and and that really should change the number of leads and the volume of our trading 
because at the moment we we operate small volume high return uh, and the next step is going to be high volume or medium volume and still keep the high return um, so there are several ways that we structure that and that that all comes down to how we create things um, you know uh, in, in a creative kind of way how we structure things in a creative kind of way um, that are efficient that are effective um, that you know gets us from a to b quicker than you know doing it in, in the normal way you know exchanging completing that taking a couple of months getting it ready to market that taking a month maybe doing some refit that taking a month then doing before you know it, you know we can't be sitting around for six or seven months with a single asset you know it needs to be you know we need to be out in and out within six to eight weeks um and that level of activity and that velocity requires um very very robust um practices and that all starts yeah. with how we value an asset uh, and how we secure it um and and yeah that that seems to be going really well just on um on the trading side i've got a few sort of questions on that because like i say i haven't actually spoken to many people that do what you do in volume and, and certainly for the length of time that you've done it so um just explain like what what do you look for if you're looking for a trade it's, it's just something where you can buy it lift value and resell quickly but what what do you what do you look for is there any specifics or is this is this something that you come across quite regular that you look for to, to do this or um is it not that simple we um we, we generally speaking we look for things that make a property unmortgageable to the vast or either if it's not unmortgageable very expensive to mortgage okay we're looking for assets that are either languishing online for a long period of time or assets that are not yet on the market and for the ones that are not yet on the market one of the things that we do that's really very easy um, is if a short lease property sells in, in auction it sells really well we will then let drop the rest of the flats in that block that have short leases you know, because extend, extend we, the lease resell yeah and then and so we we that kind of that's a really good lead on on how we can find assets um we will be looking for assets where we know that there is if a property goes to auction it says oh this property has japanese knotweed the chances of are that the two properties either side of it are going to have japanese knotweed right which means they good point you know, uh, so then we reach out, we, we we communicate there and then we can start with like, uh, we then, you know, as we structure that sale, we will be claiming land remediation, we'll put a works plan in place and do all that kind of stuff. And that makes the next couple of trades or the previous couple of trades more profitable, right? Um, and then obviously you're looking for, um, you know, a nice medium to nice road, you know, whether that's upper class, I don't know if people as that just a nice road in a, in a yeah. fairly nice area and you're just looking for the shithole it's that simple <laughs> the worst, Which, what does it the worst street in the the worst house in the best streets type that's thing. it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're look you're looking for the thing that goes oh no one can be happy with that sitting there perfect that's us um <laughs> you know anything anything where we see something sell at auction and it says oh just so you know there's a boundary dispute perfect we will then write to the neighbor and say, we understand there's a boundary dispute. We'll buy your property and we can solve the boundary dispute or where there's a title error or anything like that. We, that's the stuff that we pick up. 
It's slightly slower. Um, it doesn't enable the kind of speed that we would like, which is why we, we're, we're investing in um, uh, the, bringing the uh, a property buying company on board. And that's where, so we're building that up. So that will, that will give us our, our volume and our velocity. Um, maybe we would have to be a little bit more flexible on our 50 grand minimum net profit per deal, which is, we always make targets, that, but yeah. that our target is. That's our kind of, that's our minimum expectation. If we're not building in that kind of profit at the point of purchase and the value that we create, uh, every, every deal that stacks is worth doing. But for us, we focus on the, our time, you know, uh, in, in the way that we operate, our time is, is expensive. So we can't be wasting it doing uh, a deal that's only going to bring us 12 grand because it, it, it doesn't yeah, make somewhere. sense. Yeah. You know, but okay. someone who's doing BRR or, or a big portfolio, that 12 grand is perfect because they've built in that equity. They can then refurbish it, rent it out, yield it up, convert it into do whatever they want to do. And then they can portfolio uh, yeah. it. So, you know, there's stuff that's suitable for us. And then the stuff that just is suitable for somebody else doesn't necessarily make it a good or bad deal in our eyes, but it, it depends on what gives us the greatest return on time. I think I think that's a really good point. And you're completely right. Just because it works for someone else, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And, and strategy is sort of individual, isn't it? it it's down yeah. to that that person. And um, it's, 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 it's good to hear that because it, it's different to what I'm used to speaking to people about. Out of interest, um, on purchase, do you use lease options? Do you use bridging? Do you do it all cash or just combination of it all? Or um, are you quite creative in that side of it? How you actually acquire or do you have a standard way of doing things? Or Yeah, I mean, we, we, we apply the KISS model to everything we do. We just like keep it simple, stupid, um, because the moment you don't keep it simple, you end up looking stupid. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those. But no, we, we, um, we exchange. We go balls deep. You, you have to. This the lease option stuff or the subject to crap. I mean, it's it's nice and it makes you feel good because you think you've got something under control. But someone someone takes away your toys, your train set, you got nothing. But you have something with an exchange. Yeah, it's that's a legal process, right? I'm now without actually taking ownership of the asset. I'm now in a position of ownership to this asset, and that means that you're now in a position where you can sell that asset. So what we do is we tend to scale everything to operate on a back-to-back. -back. It doesn't always work out. It's always nice if it does. So let's say we buy something. Uh, we normally exchange immediately on a six or eight week completion or a completion that suits the vendor. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes we exchange complete within a week. You know, we, we move with what, what solves the other person's problem. But if it works out that we can get a seven to eight week completion, we'll be throwing it straight into auction and we'll line up the auction completion with our completion and we'll back to back the transaction. That means we can claim, um, a, you know, stamp duty subsell tax relief. So we don't pay the stamp. It means that we don't have, although we always try to arrange finance if we have to complete on it, but it means we don't have that much capital at work, just normally a five or 10% deposit. So it means that we're in a position where we can take a not too modest pot and rapidly grow it. Uh, there are risks, of course, in everything. We always have to be prepared that whatever we're buying may not sell at auction. The price might be wrong. We may have to do some work 
we'll have to complete on it. We'll have to project manage something to get it across the line or get the solicitors to do whatever it is that we need them to do. But that's, we pretty, always, that's pretty hard at the minute, isn't it? Getting solicitors to do what they're meant to do at the minute. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we spread the load across three solicitors and we use three specialists for the, generally speaking, the type that we use. And everyone's like, oh, what solicitor are you using? I'm, I'm, I'm not told a soul. I mean, it doesn't help my solicitor, <laughs> but it helps me. Yeah, uh, keep it keep it to yourself. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Do you, you want to know who my solicitor is? I'm not telling you. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? So it's it's um, yeah. it it's it's that kind of thing. Um, and we're in the process of talking to um, a couple of financiers about maybe setting up um, a revolver fund or a hunter fund, just to basically get us in a position where we can fund as many of these things as possible. And trade them out because you know they will normally charge a lower um apr so a, a lower um rate but they'll take a slice of the profit on top um and we're not too bothered about that because if we can buy more we'll be earning more it doesn't matter if someone else takes a bit of the pie yeah, you know if, if you're making money and someone else is making money then something bright is happening yeah if you're making money and someone's getting screwed over, then you, you've got to reconsider your where you're sitting in, in uh, and how you're operating and, and what that means to you. But yeah, that, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's clearly work on whatever you're doing. And, and you, you know, there's got to be a lot of research behind these deals to, and you've got to be pretty confident if you're trying to do a back-to-back, you know, if you're buying an auction with 56 days and try or, or or buying up on the market or whatever you're buying them or where you're finding them to put them straight in auction. Um, yeah, and obviously if it doesn't go in time, you've, you've still got to complete on that property, right? So um, you've got to be pretty confident in your research um, to, to make that happen. How are you generally, I know you mentioned some direct-to-vendor stuff there. If you find one, you'll go next door and, and stuff like that. Are you finding a lot of auctions? Do you do a lot of like, director vendor campaigns or stuff on the market or is it just a combination of everything it it tends to be uh, a lot of it is is auctions so we use auctions well you, as a buy, you buy at buy at auction and sell at auction yeah 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 um and we're 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 fairly prolific i think uh, it'll be nice to do uh, more but it's always nice yeah. to do more yeah. um but we're looking to move into a position where every three properties we buy we'll sell two and keep one um, and we're looking at building a, a portfolio for maybe two specific asset classes. Um, and, and, and then that, that's, that's something that we haven't looked to doing before. Uh, and I haven't been interested in before, but um, it, it's starting to look like that may be, in terms of longevity, the best way to do things. Um, but the, the, beauty of, um, the beauty of starting off trading is that with that small pot of money that we start off with and we've been increasing that pot that we live a rather spartan life because we know that the future is this pot that we're building and what that's going to create for us um so it's slow it's it's intensive you know this is not a get rich quick kind of money scheme i promise um it, re- it requires you know understanding a lot of different things and where things can go wrong and almost preempting them um but it will get to a point where when we start building out that, you know, for every three properties we buy, we'll sell two and keep one. That one property we keep probably won't need any finance on it. So we could end up with a completely unleveraged portfolio. Now, we wouldn't have a completely unleveraged portfolio because 
that's not very effective. Yeah. Um, but, but you can put yourself in that position so you could leverage up if needed. Like, yeah, I mean, even if we yeah. even if we put everything down at a thirty percent LTV, you know, it it doesn't at that point it doesn't matter. But it means that we'll have greater capital to build and do more. So that's the trajectory that we're looking at or that we're aiming for. I love that. I love that. I think it's again, it's a, it's a different approach. Um, it's interesting that you find a lot of auction. I personally buy a lot of auction. Um, to hold, I don't really sell anything. Sell anything myself. It's it's mainly BRR. And when everyone's, I found it auctions. Like I'm finding better deals at auctions because you generally don't have the first time. The, the market's so hot. You don't have the first time buyers buying at auction. You don't have the home movers buying at auction. Um, you have some cash buyers, but it, it's mainly investors. And it, and, and you write the ones where there's something seriously wrong with it. Um, a lot of people overlook, and that's often where you find the the best deals right um yeah i mean your your benefit is that cash buyers won't really be competition for you because they'll need to be buying at x percent you know pence in a pound 60 70 80 pence in a pound uh, you can buy it at, at a higher value knowing that you're going to refurb it rent it and hold it as uh, a cash producing asset for the next x no you know your kids 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 will inherit it or whatever yeah, yeah right so you're on a completely different metric to them so when you know people are on on these groups saying, oh, someone's definitely overpaid for this asset. Well, they paid more than you, but what were you going to do with it? You know, if I'm buying a three-bedroom semi-detached house, I'm not turning it into an HMO. But someone who is can pay a hundred grand more than me in most cases, right? Because when, once well, they yeah. you know, and people are like, I can't see how they're making this work. Well, maybe it's not an HMO, maybe it's social housing HMO, or maybe they're buying it to turn it into service accommodation, you know unless you know what someone else is doing and how their numbers operate, you're only looking at it through your sphere of, of knowledge and experience. Um, and I always okay. say, and the, the trick for me at auction is when we look at something, we're like, right, who is our competition? And we have to look at the asset and go, what other strategy can be employed here that will make money? And then we work backwards from there. We go, okay, well, this is likely where they're, this is the barrier that they're going to be in to want to buy this property. So are we above or are we below them? If we're below them most of the time, you know, we'll still give it a go, but we, we know we're unlikely to win unless someone doesn't notice the asset is there to be picked up, right? Um, but normally if something sells for price X, we're like, oh, okay, that guy is going to do this, this, and this, and they'll still walk away with money, but we weren't going to do that. So, you know, no hard feelings and crack on with the next deal. Um, and for us, it's kind of, that's where we're a little bit hard skinned. It's like, okay, it didn't happen. No problem. Crack on with the next deal. Uh, and that's our focus. It's always the next deal, not the last one. Yeah, man. No, I think um, I love that about the, you know, I've, I've heard people say that loads, oh, such and such is overpaid for that. But you're right, it, it, to determine if they've overpaid, it's, it's strategy dependent, isn't it? Like, I've never thought of it like that, but you're right, you're completely right. What are their costs? Like, what, what if it was like... Exactly. A, if, they're, if they're a builder, it, it, yeah. they, they can be more common because what will cost me 25 grand, I'll cost them 10. Yeah, um, yeah man, I love that. I love that. Um, great point. Um, so yeah, sorry. So we've covered a lot of that. Just give us your, what was your best deal? Not necessarily just monetary, but a, a snapshot of like um, what you bought, what you've done, and then what you, what you sold it for. What, what's your, is anyone that sort of jumps out that that was a deal? Like, I love well, that one. I used, I used to talk about a deal that I did in Birmingham and sometimes it blows people's minds. And then I realized in reality, the deal was amazing 
but I didn't get the best out of it. So I talk about a deal we did a couple of years ago. It was myself and my business partner, Piot, and um, we, we joint ventured with a chap called Rod Turner, uh, who's an absolute legend. Um, and we bought four workshops um, in, yeah. in like Tooting. Um, and it basically we bought it for, out of Harmon Healy auctions. It was lot number one. Uh, we bought it for 212 off of a guide price of 165, I think. Um, put our deposits down, which was, you know, uh, not a great deal of money. Um, we got someone to finance it at, I think, 7%. The asset was yielding 7%. This was um, when you still had the permitted development or the prior approval for B1. Uh, uh, C, which was like the lighting uh, workshop to, to residential change of use. Um, so we applied for it um, and we got it. Uh, there was a couple of hiccups, but it, it happened. Um, we then had several options. So we work on a multiple exit strategy. If this doesn't work, we move on to this exit. But every exit has to leave you positive, has to leave you, you know, there'll be ones as you go further down those exits. Um, points that you're going to be maybe making less of a return but it's better to have you no know, return of capital before you get return on right yeah. make sure the yeah, money yeah, comes yeah. back then worry about the the cream on top um but this worked out quite well because one of our initial exits was right well one of the reasons why we joined up with rod is because he's a developer he would know how to take that asset and turn it into uh you know muse houses which would be worth you know, 450, 500,000 pounds each, right? He, he had that specialism. One of the main reasons why we worked with him. Um, but uh, the other thing was, this now has permitted development to be, you know, four Muse houses. Um, well, what's, what's a Muse house? Sorry, I, I've never heard so that. So basically, it's, a, it's basically a house without a garden. Right, okay. Yeah, so it's just, it's basically just a more compact house. So it's, it's almost, okay. it's neither, it's like, like a one and a half, two-story house with no garden and you know it's you you find them in in a lot in london in heavily built up areas um, okay yeah you do, don't get them up in up in god's country in newcastle where i'm from you don't, you don't, you don't get them you see but okay uh, yeah up in the up where the light is yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah yeah okay um, sorry yeah so we, and we basically we we got the uh the prior approval for the um for the change of use and we thought to ourselves well let's bung it in auction um, and we had a uh, an off-market agent um, talk to a couple of people before it went to auction. They're thinking, oh, you know, anywhere between six fifty and seven fifty, and we're like, oh, that's a hundred grand difference. So we need a little bit more certainty than that. So we thought, yeah, let's go into it with auction. Uh, we guided it, I think, at six hundred. It sold for six fifty, um, and yeah, I, I think what four hundred thirty thousand net. Before tax, four hundred thirty thousand net. In in how long did that take? About seven months. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, that, that's all going, isn't it? You know, it was, it, was, it was producing income, which offset the cost of the debt, um, and the professional fees for the planning and everything else like that was about ten grand. So we were, we we spent very very little. Um, to create that kind of value. And that's, that, that style of deal is something that we try and emulate as much as possible with whatever asset yeah. we're buying. Um, you know, maybe we'll make a hundred grand out of something or 200 grand or 50 grand or 70, whatever it is. Um, but it, it has to have 
those kind of options, that kind of flexibility, that kind of uh, ability to add value in a short on a short period of time. Yeah, that, that in in recent years, that's definitely the best group that deals. Stands out, yeah. And and did yeah. you think you know when you're doing your research, when you sourced that property, when you found it, did, was there were, were they your numbers? You were thinking you'll be able to sell it for that much of a profit, or did like yeah? I mean that. I'm just um, I mean, curious to we, think if, if there's that much in it in London, like in a deal like that, you know, a lot of people are not privy to that and thinking along the same lines, or was it like a bit of a surprise that it went for that much? Uh, it wasn't really too much of a surprise, but we, we always work on worst case figures. So we were telling ourselves, you know, the, the Muse houses would be worth, you know, 400 to 425 but there were like one bedroom flats at the end of the road that had just entered the market at 450. And we thought, well, a flat's leasehold, a muse house is freehold. You know, it's your own, it's your own building, it's your own yeah. property, you know. Uh, so we thought, we, we didn't put the numbers down, but I thought, yeah, anywhere between 450 and 475, it's got to sell for the same price, if not more, is more, more than, than a one bedroom flat. Um, but yeah, for, for us, we, we kind of, we put it down that every, the four flats would be, 400 grand each was the you know we had a gdb at 1.2 um the person who bought it from us from auction went in for second stage planning to get front and rear mansards so to increase increase the habitable space um i haven't checked up on how the sales are going but i think he was listening for about 485 or 495 which for where they are is just terrific value we probably and it would all be end user style stock so, you know, the end user market at the moment is just, does, I think it doesn't really matter where you are. It's nuts. Everything is going to everything sells. Yeah. yeah, it's mad. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the people we bought this from, um, they'd owned it in their family for about 36 years and they bought, paid for like 40 grand for it or less or whatever it was at the time. So they've made money out of the deal. Um, yeah. We bought it. We we optimized it. The person who's bought it from us is making money at the dealer has not optimized it. And you know the people who end up living there are going to have you know hopefully a good quality home to live in. So that's the, that's the part of the process that we want to be a part of. Yeah, man, women for everyone. That's yeah. that's what it's all about. Um, no, I love that. Um, that thanks for that, Jay. It's, it's been a great episode. Um, just to wrap up, what I, what I ask everybody, Jay, is. Um, Show's called the Rags to Riches, but what does being rich mean to you? Because being rich can mean so many different things. You know, you can be rich in time, in monetary, in assets, in relationships, friendships, whatever. Um, but that phrase being rich, what does that mean to, to you, Jay? Oh, I, I, I watched a Bob Marley interview recently where the interviewer said, Oh, you know, are you wealthy? Are you rich? And he said, you know, what does what does what does this mean? What does it uh, do I have things? Yeah, maybe I have things. That doesn't make me rich. I think what makes me rich is I've, you know, I've I've got my small little family unit here, um, you know, uh, and I think that makes you a wealthy man if you if you got if you got the love of an amazing woman and uh, a child that you love dearly, then you're a wealthy person. You're rich no matter what you do. Um, I've got good friends. Uh, my business partner is awesome. Um, you know, we you know there's an element of luck in what we do um and i think you know having a bit of luck is makes you it enriches you definitely does because there are people that doesn't matter how hard they try they haven't got that pinch of luck um so i think that's what makes me rich yeah 
First time anyone's answered it like that, and I think you're spot on. Because, like, if you've got loads of money, but you haven't got the family life, pretty sh- I'm pretty confident to say most really wealthy people, if they don't have a family and partner and children, they would swap everything that they've got to be in that position, right? I think I think that's pretty accurate that that statement. And and you're right, you're rich if you've got if you've got a good family, good partner, good you know you've got a family life and stuff. I think that um, I agree. I think that that's proper being rich, isn't it? Um, love it, Jay. It's been a, a cracking episode. I've really enjoyed it. Um, plenty of lessons in there. I feel as well. And um, in regards to trade, and I think you've shared some some really good points. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, I don't think you're on socials too much. I don't think, but if if anyone wants to reach out to you, wants to follow you, wants to come to you, uh, speak to you about your consultancy work, they want to put a property in into auction. What's the best way for someone to to reach out? I mean, I'm 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 the uh, if I ever did a crime, I'd be the easiest person to find. I mean, I'm on I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I do TikTok, silly TikTok videos. I did, sorry, I, I couldn't find it. I, I thought, I, yeah, I didn't think you wanted too much. Apologies. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. I, I was also on Clubhouse for a period. Like, if anyone Hello. wants to find me, like you can, you can find me. I yeah, everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, drop me a message. I, I respond. You know, personable person, so I'll always respond. Um, yeah. So yeah, just reach out. Um, I'll share the links. Um, I think maybe I have already, but if not, I'll share the links and. Yeah, anyone yeah, can reach out. Yeah, I'll put the links that you sent us on WhatsApp. I'll put those in the show notes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, nice. Obviously, I'll tag you on all the different platforms. I've just got, I've got you on LinkedIn. I just, I'll add you on everything else now. I just had you on yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Get yeah, involved. Um, I talk monstrous amounts of shit on a daily basis, and you're missing <laughs> out if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're I've actually out. got, I've actually got a deal I want to speak to you about um, that I'm going to be putting into auction. So obviously, oh, well, off air, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make some advice. But um, Jay, thank you. It's been a great episode. Um, have a fantastic rest of your day, and thank you for coming on. Cheers, Terry. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jim.